Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Sports Podcast Podcast, a podcast about sports podcasts. I'm your host, Chris Werner. Each week, I'll interview podcasters about their podcasts. We'll dig into their motivations, lessons learned, tips, tricks, and tactics for podcasting. Coming up is a conversation with Sasha Schmidt, the host of the Fight for Iowa Network's Herky Voice Podcast and the head women's tennis coach at the University of Iowa. The Herky's Voice Podcast began amid the COVID-19 pandemic in August of 2020 and has published 85 episodes as of April 28, 2023. Schmidt will discuss her days playing for the Hawkeye women's tennis team, her relationship with late Iowa women's athletic director and women's sports pioneer, Dr. Christine Grant, her passion for women's sports, and how and why she helped create and started hosting the Herpes Voice podcast. Please enjoy the interview with Sasha Schmidt. I'm joined by head women's tennis coach at the University of Iowa, Sasha Schmid. But more importantly for this episode, she's the host of the Herkes podcast, a University of Iowa podcast that focuses mostly on women in sports around uh, the campus of Iowa, as well as nationally. Hi, hi Coach Schmid. Welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Let's get right into it. Uh, firstly, just give give the listeners a little bit of background as to, you know, how you grew up playing sports and, you know, how you got to kind of where you are. Sure. Yeah, I grew up in a really focused athletic family. My uh, father was in Major League Baseball, and so he had a career that spanned 47 years so it was really just quite normal for me to be hanging out at the uh, ball fields and at the major league stadiums throughout um, the country while I was growing up. And so I you have a younger brother and he was always allowed to go out in the field and play catch and go in the clubhouse. And I didn't want to be excluded. So I wanted to be a part of sports. And uh, very early on, and I just kind of was attracted to the sport of tennis. And it was, you know, something that my parents encouraged me. It was a lifelong sport and I could start at a young age and play throughout my life. And we moved a lot because you move a lot as you get hired and fired with the different teams in Major League Baseball. Um, But was lucky enough wherever we landed to be able to find a really good, you know, tennis club and teaching pros um, and finish my high school uh, career and, and junior tennis career in San Diego, California. Yeah. How did you, how'd you kind of go from baseball to tennis? I know you said you were attracted to it, but you know, do you remember maybe the first time you saw a tennis match or picked up a a racket? I do. My, my mom and dad used to love tennis and it was kind of the era of, uh, Yvonne Gulagon and, um, Chris Everd. And they just really admired those women tennis players and the, they, they, they were recreational players and used to go to parks and find parks. And, and my mom and dad would play tennis with each other for fun. And I was always there with them and eventually just wanted to join in and they would, um, kind of give me a racket and toss some balls at me. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I think I just liked the, 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 the action pace of tennis a little bit more. I, I, I dabbled in a little softball. Um, but they tell the story. I was often kind of twirling or just kind of doing cartwheels. There just wasn't enough action out in the outfield for me, uh, in softball. So I gravitated more towards tennis. Uh, and then, 
Uh, moving forward a little bit in your career, you said you uh, finished your high school career in San Diego, and then uh, I know you played at Iowa before you coached here from uh, the, in the mid-90s. Kind of how did you choose Iowa, and what do you remember about it when you were a player here? My mom's entire family's from Iowa. So we used to come back and go to family reunions and uh, come back in the fall. And they're huge Hawkeye fans and would always, you know, try to make a football game. Um, definitely caught the Hawks at Rose Bowl uh, games when we were in Southern California when I was in high school. So I was really always just a Hawkeye fan. My dad um, is a very humble man um, and uh, was also, you know, a big fan of the Big Ten. And he, played at Michigan and baseball and was in the Michigan hall of fame. But I think his, his very quiet, humble demeanor never really pushed the Wolverines on me. Um, and for whatever reason, the Hawkeye family was just a little bit more present. And, um, I just kind of really was attracted to, um, Iowa and the Midwest and the coaches started recruiting me and, uh, I followed my, uh, you know, extended family and, and came to Iowa city in the, uh, fall of, uh, 1992. I was a freshman. I loved my time at Iowa. I was really, um, here in an, in an amazing moment of time where we had incredible leadership and, uh, Dr. Grant, who, um, if anyone listens to, you know, the Hercules Voice podcast, they know I'm so passionate about her legacy and the impact that she made on not only Hawkeyes, but really our nation and our world with her fight for equity for women in sport. And she was my athletic director. So this was just a really incredible place. And I was so fortunate to find my way here. When I came to Iowa, I had no idea what I was stepping into and the legacy of trailblazing women that were the, in the leadership in the athletic department. And that really made an impact on me and really set the course of my life with their mentorship in terms of me wanting to be involved in collegiate athletics. How, how was kind of your professional life after you graduated from Iowa? I know you went to Stetson and then uh, Missouri, but kind of what was the timeline there? Did you go right into, you know, coaching or assistant coaching or uh, how, how did that kind of play out? You know, I was I was the um, assistant coach at the University of Iowa after I finished um, playing. And I also went to law school and I really felt like I wanted to move into administration um, and leadership within collegiate athletics. And I felt like a law degree was a great education for that. But I loved the team and I missed being involved in the team. And so I was able to kind of do both. I was able to be the assistant coach and get my law degree. And I was at a crossroads when I graduated to kind of know which way I wanted to go, you know, whether I was going to go into administration or go into coaching. And I just sent out a ton of resumes um, kind of throughout the south of the United States. And Stetson University was the school that replied to me first. And I didn't even really know what job they were kind of calling me about because I kind of just canvassed everybody with a resume that included coaching, but also an interest in administration. And they were calling about their women's tennis uh, opening. And um, that's kind of how I started on my uh, journey as a head coach. Schmid would remain the head coach at Stetson University for 10 seasons, beginning in the 2001-2 season and coming to an end in 2010 and 11. There, she would collect three Atlantic Sun Coach of the Year honors before being hired at Missouri before the 2011-2012 season. She coached the Tigers until the 2015-2016 season and helped the program 
move from the Big 12 to the SEC before the 2012 to 2013 season. In the offseason, after the spring 2016 season, Schmidt got a phone call from her alma mater. And then you said the five years at, at Missouri, uh, transform that program into a competitive competitive team. And then obviously Iowa, Iowa comes calling, I would assume, or how did that that kind of work? How did you, you come back to your alma mater? Yeah, you know, you're exactly right. They, they did make a phone call. And, you know, it's an interesting thing with both my move to Mizzou and then back here to Iowa. They weren't jobs that I sought out. Um, but I, I was fortunate enough to have, you know, my name be brought up within the administrative levels um, at both schools. And I'm really, really grateful to that. Um, because once again, I, I was in the midst of building still going into year six at Mizzou. And I, I had just loved my recruits that I had signed and I was so excited. It was kind of in the middle of the summer. And, you know, I think I would knew that, um, I was an alum and I was coaching at an SEC school. And when they had the opening here, you know, they, they encouraged me to apply. I was under contract at Mizzou. So it's a little delicate and it's, actually easier for a coach under a contract to be able to walk into my athletic director at Mizzou and, and, and explain it as if I had gotten a phone call versus me reaching out. Um, so they, they understood that that was the situation and then they gave me permission to come up here and interview. Um, and you know, it's, it's just a, a real tug at your heartstrings to, to, to be able to have the stars aligned to go back to your alma mater. I, I really was so happy at Mizzou and could have stayed there. And there wasn't another institution that could have pulled me away, but the opportunity to come here and be back at Iowa um, and in Iowa city was, was really just so special and unique that I had to, for one more time in my life, you know, kind of pick myself up and, and start a new job. And was that, like as soon as you became an assistant coach after your playing career here, was that always kind of a, a dream or or maybe a dream after you became a head coach at those different schools that you were like, in a perfect world, I might come back here? A hundred percent. And actually, you know, probably in my fourth or fifth year at Stetson, the job was open at Iowa and I applied and I didn't even get a phone call. Um, and so I thought, oh, geez, okay. It's just never like, I mean, just never really going to happen at Iowa. So I just almost had been resigned that it's, you know, my path was different and I was going in a different direction um, because of that first experience where I really went after the, the job at Iowa and just didn't have the interest. Um, so in order, you know, come like 10, 12 years later for it to, to work out the way it did was, was really, really meaningful. And, um, you know, I think there's just something really special when I can get on the phone with a recruit and I can talk about coming to the University of Iowa and say that I chose the school. Um, and we've got that in common that we would be Hawkeyes together. I think that's, that's, that's really unique. And, and, um, I'm just so happy to be able to tell that story authentically. Uh, and then with your involvement in, uh, women's sports outside of tennis as well with the Herkes podcast and then, um, organized the Herky Hawk Walk, I believe it is, and you serve on multiple other committees. Was that something you really tried to push once you got here? Or did you kind of try to push that at your other schools as well? Or was it just, you know, coming back here, you felt like you needed to give back to to those that came before you? I know you mentioned uh, Christine Grant has a big impact on your life. Yeah, you know, like I said, I, I always 
always had that pull to the larger picture. And um, where at, at any institution that I had that I'd been, you know, I, I have also always done kind of more than coaching at Stetson and at Mizzou. I coached a sport law class undergrad at Stetson and in the graduate program at Mizzou. So I've, I've always loved kind of having a little bit of more experiences that extend beyond just coaching the tennis team. And I love that. It's really exciting for me and it's something that kind of fills up my cup. And so I think probably at every institution I've been at, I've kind of looked for other opportunities to kind of be involved in different expansive areas. So when I came back to Iowa, the, 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 the pull to, um, have been a student athlete and been somebody who was in the legacy of Grant, I felt like I could really speak to that and work on her behalf and legacy and what she had given to me in, in ways that could give back to the my student athletes on the tennis team, but more broadly to the other student athletes on the other different programs. And so I just really wanted to contribute and help in whatever ways I could because it's so authentically my passion. Um, there were some programs that were starting here and and growing underway by the leadership um, here within the administration. And, you know, eventually um, I just, you know, kept kind of voicing my desire to help and my passion and my enthusiasm and, um, you know, eventually I think they thought, well, that shoot, she keeps asking, you know, <laughs> and having all these ideas and, you know, knocking on our door. Um, let's just go ahead and let her kind of do a podcast. You know, that all kind of came to a head in 2020 when we went through the pandemic and the financial crisis. And we realized that we were most likely in a situation where we would be, you know, reducing opportunities for student athletes by cutting sports. And, you know, I've always felt a desire to grow women's athletics and it was never more acutely felt than at that time. And I just would, would, would have all of these conversations with myself when I was on walks in the pandemic and by, by myself and had so much more free time than normal. And to me, everything started with connection. And once you can connect your community and the fan base and your donors and your sponsors to your sports then, you know, you can really start to, to genuinely dig into your community and have support both financially and through spectators in a way that's really meaningful. And media attention and media coverage of women's sports has always lagged behind the coverage of the main men's sports. And I just found that to be a a, a constant circular effect, right? Where they get covered, you get to know the players, you get to know the coaches, you feel connected, you want to buy the season tickets, you want to go to the games, you want to support them, you want to read the papers, you want to read the articles, and it just it just flows. Well, how does women's athletics, who I strongly feel have the same content, excitement, you know, all of those same storylines are present, but we're just not quite getting into the pipeline of getting the coverage. And we could wait for the Des Moines Register or the Gazette to pick up the phone and call. Or there's this exciting new medium that we're out there that allows us to actually take control of the narrative and tell our own stories, which then starts to create the connection. So that was really, you know, where I felt like we could we could really use the medium of podcasting to do in-depth stories 
storytelling to connect with our Hawkeye community for women's athletics. How do you kind of, firstly, how do you choose, you know, who to, who to talk to? Because uh, I know you've had a wide range of guests on from administrators. Like I think Beth, Beth Getz was on recently. Uh, you have a lot of athletes on from the university. You have a couple of national uh, champions of women's sports as well. It's funny because when we started, you know, we were kind of like, I don't know, like, are we going to have enough coverage? And I have found there to be so many opportunities for coverage. And I kind of just wanted to cast a really broad net and tell the stories of, of, of real people, of people behind Iowa athletics. And so, you know, that's really been from the administrators to donors to, um, our, of course, our student athletes, our alums, our coaches. As as time goes on, you just you kind of hear you know stories. You might interact with people that give you suggestions of of guests of stories that need to be told. That's happened, um, and it just kind of flows from there. And what I've really loved is being able to have an extended amount of time within podcasting so that, you know, the real in-depth conversations can kind of come to light. And maybe I often think it's like pulling back the curtain on some of the stories within collegiate athletics, which I hope always makes the listeners feel that much more connected to a sport or a coach or a student athlete so that they feel like it's really worth their investment. What do you think makes a especially good podcast because there are some that are you know you, you put it on you you listen for an hour and you're like well there there went an hour in your experience what can draw a listener in and what makes a podcast like worth listening to and uh what do you hope i guess that people get out of uh, the Hercules podcast i think authentic connection you know i think when you can get on a podcast and just feel like you're sitting down next to two people that are having a conversation and you're just genuinely like interested and it's easy and it's interesting and it's meaningful, authentic. And I think it's just, you can kind of get swept up in the fact of you're really involved in listening to someone's life story, listening to people talk about the moments in their life that have really been moments that have been impactful or moments that changed mentors to them and, and, and being able to convey how the thread of sport and athletics has really changed and impacted their life. I think there's some resonance and I think that there's the ability for other people that are listening to be able to, um, to really relate to that. And, um, and of course, you know, we, we probably have a common theme where people that are listening are genuinely Hawkeye fans. So they kind of like being able to hear, you know, other people who have a common interest. That's another question I have. Like, do you have like a certain length you're trying to hit or does it just flow naturally? Like if it's a, you know, 25 minute conversation, so be it. If it's hour and 20, so be it. Uh, is that is that something you're cognizant of or you just hit record and see when a good stopping point is? Really the latter, honestly. I, I, I kind of have gone into every conversation and... Um, just thought we'll go, we'll, we'll see where this conversation takes us. And, you know, one thing that I've tried, I've learned. So when I first started in the early episodes, 
I felt like I commented too much. Like I, they would have, they would give me a story and then I would kind of editorialize like, Oh, interesting. Oh, wow. That's very cool. And <laughs> I started realizing, no, like it's not about my reaction to the story. I need to just be quiet because I'm, I'm letting the listeners have their own reaction to the story that they just heard. So I, I had to kind of do some, you know, um, self-reflection and some growth in terms of, cause I'm not a trained interviewer, but I just really enjoy listening to interviews myself. And I really admire, I really admire Terry Gross from NPR and Fresh Air. Um, I just, I love listening to people do interviews that are genuinely authentic. And I think what the reason why I don't know the the length is because if I'm doing it in a way that is really meaningful is I'm listening to their answers. And, and although I might have an outline of where we might go, I need to really listen to what they just said and ask the next, next question as it relates to where their previous answer took us. And sometimes it's painful to listen to yourself and go back and listen to episodes but I forced myself to do that so that I could really try to, um, you know, to, to, to improve. Was, was podcasting something you were always interested in, like always listen to interviews or was it more, okay, I'm going to do this podcast. I want to get good at it. How did kind of your interest in, you know, listening to other people interview evolve? I really from walking during the pandemic, I got into podcasts. I think we were all searching for connections because we were so isolated and, I loved, you know, listening to um, whatever podcast I could get. And I was kind of like hungry for connection. There was a great podcast for a little while during the pandemic with Steve Kerr. Um, and I, 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 I just absolutely love Steve Kerr. And he was such a good interviewer and so interesting. I don't think he does it anymore, but it was probably, I think it was one of the pandemic pastimes for him too, but through that, I started listening more. And then um, I started listening to definitely all of the NPR podcasting and storytelling, This American Life. And I just really got interested in the medium. And I think that's what spurred me on to realize, you know, as they were on parallel tracks, I was becoming just a real fan of podcasting and listening. And they were really, you know, in bringing me such joy. And then at the same track, I was really thinking about the future of collegiate athletics, the future of Iowa women's athletics. And so that's when I kind of made the connection between both of them and both, um, you know, my love of listening to podcasts and my love of Iowa women's athletics. They both just kind of came together then. Kind of to bring it back to the start with Christine Grant, I know you started the podcast, if I'm correct, in August of 2020. Uh, that was, you know, the first couple episodes. And then Grant died in 2021. So she you know, was alive when you started the podcast. Was that something that was important to you to kind of have her still be here and see that you were trying to carry on, you know, what she started, especially at this same institution? Definitely. It was really, really meaningful. I had the chance, um, Lisa Salucci and I, my good friend, coaches the field hockey team here. We, we went to go visit Dr. Grant and it was our last visit with her on December 17th of 2021. And um, she, she told me that, you know, she had definitely listened to the podcast and heard some episodes, um, which was really special for me. Um, and, you know, I, at that conversation with her there by her bed, you know, just really just told her, like, I'll just continue to keep 
doing whatever I can to, um, you know, continue the call to action that she has for continuing education and persistence for equity in sports and to continue to keep making sure that we put um, equity in sports and the value of women in sports and the uh, the value of Title IX in the forefront. Yeah, it's, it, I can tell that she really had an impact in your life and it's very meaningful to you. If you had a couple of just quick tips for you know, getting to the essence of a person and like with the questions you ask to get those deep stories, what would it be? I know we talked about listening without input and kind of guiding the conversation based on uh, what the what the person said last to, to have a flow to it. You know, I think that being able to make somebody comfortable when they're talking and sometimes it's just a matter of really listening and they could make a comment like, you know, I, I'm really... I'm really, really grateful for, you know, my high school coach. And then I always want to say, what was it about your high school coach that was really meaningful? What, what, what ask, what characteristics, you know, just to draw that out and get a little bit more specific, because then I feel like that's when you get to the real part of, of why they're feeling the way they're feeling, just, you know, pulling on the thread a little bit more. Um, and that's genuinely what I'm interested in too. You know, I kind of want to know like, what, what was it that, you know, this specific person did for you in your life that is, was so impactful for you. And then that leads us probably in a little bit of a different direction. What I've seen happen so many times with my guests is as they're kind of talking about their life story, they're almost realizing for themselves the arc of their life. And they're like, you know what? You're right. That was, you can really see how that moment in time set me on a different path. And it's kind of this fun interaction where we're realizing how cool life is really kind of in a memoir retrospective. And uh, we can all kind of relate um, to that as we're all, you know, connecting it with our own life's journeys. Yeah. And on that point, is there maybe, you know, a pattern that you're seeing about maybe they're starting women's women's athletics or you know, a coach or a parent that really helped them along? Uh, and what have you seen like with that in your interviews? For sure. I mean, it's incredible how genuine and impactful sponsorship is when you, when you just sponsor another person on their journey. I mean, we, I've seen that even in my life when people have thrown my names out and have really impacted the arc of my journey. And it's really fun for people to kind of think back as they're talking about, you know, who are those people? And it's all these moments of generosity when somebody goes out of their way to, to take interest in you and or to make a phone call or to stay after school and help you or to give you a ride to a tryout or to make a phone call and a recruiting, you know, call to put a good word in. And life just suddenly goes from making a left turn to a right turn. And it's really like so fun to hear about those moments and to think about ultimately how connected we all are and how much we all can impact each other's lives in positive ways. Talking about impacting uh, people's lives in positive ways, specifically with women's sports, what do you think maybe the next step is for women's sports to become more popular, like you said, and receive the coverage that they are? I know she's not your athlete, but I think Caitlin Clark at the University of Iowa is doing doing her part certainly in that. We had we had a really incredible moment as a women's athletic 
coaches and staff members actually back in late August where we all got all gathered at Carver Hawkeye arena and, and had a, the first premiere showing of unshakable belief, the documentary of Dr. Grant's life. And I happened to walk out and uh, was in the parking lot with Kate Martin and Caitlin. And we ended up just hugging each other. And we said, that's our superpower. Our superpower is our legacy and our devotion and strength to the power of sports in women's lives. And I don't know how many people have picked up on it, but Lisa Bluter in all of her press conferences throughout the NCAA tournament throws in unshakable belief quite often as the description of her teams and of their mindset. And it's a direct correlation back to that movie and how powerful that night was and how strong we feel in terms of all of us kind of getting goosebumps about the legacy of our institution of women's athletics here at the University of Iowa. So I think if we can build on that pride and that legacy and really move into the next 50 years of Iowa women's athletics in a really creative, innovative, exciting way, I think the sky's the limit. I think it's time for really creative thinking and an innovative administration and leadership in terms of how we can maximize out media coverage, exposure. I think we should be charging admission. I think everything does come back to having value and financial value, which also gives you independence and some ability to create your own path. Um, And we're at a real time when that can start to go in an amazing, you know, new, new direction. We, we had our own separate athletic department for women's athletics when I was at Iowa and we really had to merge in 2000 for mostly finances And wouldn't it be amazing if as we go into the next 50 years, we start to become financially more independent on ourselves and be able to create more revenues because that really can unlock the future for women's athletics when we can have TV contracts for women's basketball and charge admissions. And the sky's the limit once we can kind of maximize out the potential in those areas. And I know you're definitely doing your part with uh, with the podcast. You talked about, you know, getting in the media coverage and it's that loop of people want to buy tickets. They want to watch the games because they know the stories. So you're definitely uh, doing your part in that aspect. And the last thing, I will let you plug the Herkies podcast. If there was, this is kind of like picking a favorite child, but if there was one episode that you think people should start on if they haven't listened before, uh, what would you think that was and where can they find uh, where can they find the podcast? Well, I definitely would have to say right now, I, the, the episode that I think everyone would really enjoy is the Caitlin Clark Jan Jensen episode. Um, we, we, that was about a year old. Well, now almost a year and a half. We did it in the fall of 21, I think maybe 22, no 21, the fall of 21. I had both of them on. It was a fantastic, um, conversation about how Jan and Caitlin have, the unique similarity of being Iowa girls um, coming up through the Iowa high school basketball, the difference between the high school tournament when Jan played versus where it is now when Caitlin plays the difference now between, you know, collegiate athletics when Jan was playing and where it is now with Caitlin and the interaction between the two of them is so authentic and real and fun and insightful. And I think it really gives you a sense of both of their personalities and what they bring to um, to, to Iowa basketball. Talks a little bit about Jan's recruitment of Caitlin to the University of Iowa. 
So I loved that episode. I think that one was 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 really really fun and insightful, and it's very timely now as we've got everybody really so excited about um, Iowa women's basketball and their run. Yeah, obviously we're recording this on March twenty eighth. Iowa women's basketball is on the cusp of their first Final Four since nineteen ninety three, thirty years ago, and everyone knows Caitlin Clark's a hooper, but. Let's not forget, this is a public service announcement, that Jan Jensen also got buckets. Um, but <laughs> yes. there, there you have it. Um, Sasha Schmid, the host of the Herkies podcast in her third year as the host there. Go listen to Caitlin Clark, Jan Jensen, and all of the, I think, close to 100 episodes. I know, I think Lisa Salucci said 57 when you guys were... Uh, talking in January of 2022, so it's got to be close to 100. I'll get that number in my intro, but appreciate your time as always, and you can find it on uh, Apple Podcasts, one of the Fight for Iowa podcasts, and thank you for your time. Well, there you have it. That's our show. If you made it all the way to the end, congratulations. You win nothing. Again, if you'd like to check out the Herky's Voice podcast, It's one of the Fight for Iowa Network's podcasts produced by the University of Iowa, and it's on Apple Music. There's a link to the Fight for Iowa podcast page in the show notes. From all of the fine editors and producers at the Sports Podcast podcast, which include me, myself, and I, Chris Werner, we sincerely thank you for listening. 